Friends, uh, brothers and sisters, this miracle, it's the only miracle except for the resurrection that all four Gospels give us. It was the largest miracle in terms of the sheer number of people impacted. The 5,000 was very likely 5,000 men. So including women and children, we're looking at 10,000 plus people, maybe up to like 15,000 total people. It takes place in the shore of Galilee. Later on in time, it was called the Sea of Tiberias, and it makes sense for John to note that because John wrote later than the other Gospels. The other Gospels tell us that Jesus and the disciples were weary, and that's why they crossed the lake. And we learn they don't get time to relax and kick back. They cross over the Sea of Galilee on their boat. It's about eight miles across, so that's a pretty big sea. It'd be a pretty big lake. And as they're crossing, crowds are following them. The motive of these crowds doesn't seem to be faith or love for Jesus. Their motive doesn't seem to be repentance. You know, Jesus, what have I done wrong? How should I be living my life? Tell me. Their motive, they seem to be thrill seekers. Verse 2 makes a point of telling us they just want, they're there to see the miracles. And that, that tells us that they're not getting it, the crowd as, as a whole. They're not getting the significance of the miracles. And, and we know, we talked about this last week and in previous weeks, the miracles are not ends to themselves for us or for them, but the miracles are signposts of the kingdom of God. They're signposts of Jesus. They are showing, they are telling key truths about who Jesus is and what his kingdom is all about. This miracle here, recorded by John, is showing us one thing in particular. It's showing us how Jesus demonstrates to people that he's the bread of life. That's what this miracle is telling us tonight. This miracle is demonstrating for us how Jesus is the bread of life. We started the service there. Jesus says that just a little bit later in this same chapter. I am the bread of life. And I believe that's really key to what John is doing here and telling us. The miracles, it's a demonstration of that fact. It's a demonstration of that reality and truth that Jesus is the bread of life. How does Jesus demonstrate here that he's the bread of life? One, he anticipates the need in this situation. How does he demonstrate that he's the bread of life? He anticipates the need, as Jesus always does. 6 verse 35, when Jesus says he's the bread of life, Jesus comes to those who are hungry and thirsty. Jesus always comes to those who are in need. Jesus, in verse 5, does something he often does. He did it last week in the miracle of the pool of Bethesda. He asks someone a question that he already knew the answer to. He asks Philip, 
What shall we do about all these people? Why do you ask Philip? Well, we think Philip might have been like the administrative guy among the disciples. You know, they had to delegate responsibilities. He could very well have been the guy who made sure they had food and lodging as they they went around. Jesus knew that Philip had no clue what to do in this situation. And and we, we read that. He asked Philip just to test him. And then we read that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. So Jesus, again, here, he, we saw this last week too, he's, he's establishing, he's pulling out the need. The need. Jesus is totally anticipating the need in this situation. John is making it clear. And this was a serious need. There weren't grocery stores around that they could quickly go to. No one else seemed to anticipate this need. Certainly, no one else had a solution to the problem, but Jesus anticipates the problem, and he's got a plan to meet the need. And that is how Jesus is. That's how Jesus works. He knows our need, and he's got a plan to deal with our need. In fact, The Bible tells us he's got an eternal plan, an eternal plan that involves our creation, the fall, the plan of redemption, and him bringing his love to each one of us. Philip's totally useless and clueless response brings out something important for us, and that's highlighting the total failure of human resources and human plans in this situation. And that's true. That's true for a lot of our own situations and circumstances too. That's definitely true when we think of our ultimate need, salvation from sin. It's, it's true also in our lives day by day. We need Jesus. We can't do it on our own. We're lost and, let's face it, pretty clueless on our own in our lives. But Jesus anticipates that. Jesus knows. John is the only gospel who mentions the Passover in the context of this miracle. So a lot of the people were probably there because they were starting to gather and collect, getting ready to go to the Passover. Anyone reading this would think of something when they heard Passover. They would think of God's people's need and helplessness in the wilderness, in the desert. They had left the security of Egypt. As bad as the slavery in Egypt was, there was also some security there, right? Remember the people when they were in the wilderness were longing at times for Egypt, not because they wanted to be slaves, but they knew when they're they knew they'd have a place to sleep. They knew when their next meal would, would come and how it would get to them. But in the wilderness, they were totally dependent on God there. They didn't know how their next meal would get there. Uh, the people grumbled about that. They were helpless without God helping them. They were in total need. This reference to the Passover would highlight that. In this miracle, there's a failure of human resources, human resources. 
There's a failure of food and a lack of it. As John tells us more about Jesus, the bread of life, he shows us how ultimately there's an utter failure of spiritual resources that we've got to deal with as human beings. We can't reach God. We can't please God. We don't live in the life that God calls us to. We're in need. We can't do it on our own. Jesus knows this. Your Savior, your Jesus, knows this about the world, about all people. He knows this about your life. He knows your need for salvation. He knows your need and dependence on him day by day. He knows it, and he steps into the situation. He anticipates the need. We see, secondly, Jesus provides, and he provides abundantly in the midst of our need. He's the bread of life, so that makes sense. He provides abundantly in this need. Andrew, another disciple, finds a boy with five small barley loaves, two fish, and Jesus miraculously multiplies that meager little lunch. Philip didn't think there'd be even enough for, to get, for anybody to even have one bite. Instead, they were filled. And there was more than enough, 12 baskets left over. You know, you can really start reading into some of these miracles, and, and some people say, well, what's the significance of those 12 baskets? Well, maybe they signify the 12 tribes of Israel. It's possible, I suppose. I think it's just that there were 12 disciples, and that was the convenient way to pick up those baskets and the bread. But I could be wrong. Maybe there's some deeper meaning there, but... What we see is that Jesus doesn't just provide, does he? He doesn't just fill the need. He doesn't just give a taste. He doesn't just give a bite. He doesn't even just give the one meal. He gives more than enough. Jesus provides abundantly for people in need. Eating was more important then than now in this sense. You didn't just go to the store and the stores were always packed. Back then, having enough to eat wasn't always a given like it is for us here. Harvests were very uncertain. And when the crop was good, it was a great blessing. They thanked God. It wasn't taken for granted. And that's why I am the bread of life was such a key idea and illustration for explaining who he was to people. In Jesus, we're being told in this, the bread of life means we have in Jesus blessings. We have abundant life. We have satisfaction. We have fullness. We're called to feed on Jesus. In him, we can have Whatever we need, whether we're weary and tired and weak, whether we're being tempted into sin, whether we're poor, we can draw on Jesus. We can draw on him with our spiritual need 
and there's more than we could ever ask for in him. There's more than we could ever want. In, in business language, we'd say with Jesus, the supply outstrips the demand. With Jesus, the supply outstrips the demand. Uh, a pastor I've quoted before by the name of A.W. Pink says, this is what Jesus does to all people, to all his people. He comes talking about how he provides abundantly. He comes to the poor, bankrupt believer places, and placing in his hand a draft on the resources of heaven. He says to him, write on this note whatever you want. It's yours. I've got more than enough. At the end of the miracle, Jesus provides abundantly. At the end of the miracle, we see, and this is only in John 2, that, that Jesus was not providing like people wanted him to provide. They were great. They liked to have the bread. They wanted their bellies filled. They wanted a king across the board to provide for them physically. They wanted to make him king by force. They say in verse 14, surely this is the prophet. And they were thinking of God's provision in the wilderness in Moses' day. And it gives a clue to what they wanted. They wanted an earthly Messiah who would take care of all their physical needs. Their bellies would be full. They'd be healthy. And they would be free of the Romans. All of these physical needs would be taken care of. But, But Jesus doesn't promise all of those things. Jesus doesn't come on their terms. He doesn't come on our terms. And we can do that, too, when we think of Jesus in our own lives, or we present Jesus as a church or as individuals. We can sometimes make the mistake of talking about Jesus provides abundantly for people, of, of saying that, that Jesus provides, uh, we can present him as a quick fix for our health and our wealth and our, our happiness and our self-esteem. You'll feel better about yourself when you belong to Jesus. And and we can superficially market Jesus to the world as people, as a church. But that can turn the gospel upside down. It's not right. Instead, we have to come to Jesus on his terms. He graciously loves us. He grants us a rich inheritance of joy and peace and comfort all of these blessings, he also calls us, though, to mourn over our sin. He also calls us to repent. He also calls us to acknowledge him as the sovereign one over our lives and the one to whom we owe obedience in our lives. Even today, Jesus withdraws from people who are seeking him for their own self-serving like he withdrew from this crowd. The crowd was trying to make him a king on their terms. He, he slipped away from that. And in fact, sometimes people are driven away because of the hard demands of the gospel. We saw that last week in that guy who was healed at the pool of Bethesda. He was driven away by the suffering, the results of belonging to Jesus. It's not when we talk about providing abundantly, it's not what man thinks he needs. It's not what we automatically think we need. But here's the thing. This is what we desperately need. 
his provision, what he provides, and he provides it in abundance, richly. Do you draw on the abundance of Jesus, friends, in your life? Are you asking Jesus, when you look at your life and what you're struggling with, what you're thinking about, what you're heading into this week, do you ask Jesus to provide what you need? Are you seeking him? Philippians 4.19 says, My God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. What's your need tonight? Is it encouragement? Is it comfort? Is it joy? Are you down? Are you sad? Do you need the joy of the Lord? Is it satisfaction? You're feeling, you're feeling restless. You're not feeling satisfied in Jesus. And sometimes you start looking other places for that. Do you need to be satisfied? Do you need peace in your heart and in your mind? Are you at conflict in your mind, in your life, maybe with someone else? Do you need hope? Do you need salvation tonight? Do you need forgiveness from your sins? Jesus has it all. No matter how little you feel you have, he can provide. And he will. One of the things that only John mentions is the type of bread, the type of loaf. That it's a barley loaf. Why, why would he do that? Well, he's talking about Jesus as the bread of life and, and he provides and all of that. Barley loaves were the cheapest type of bread. They were the cheapest grain. That's what the poor had. No matter what Jesus has to work with, this is what I think it means, connected with all the rest of this. No matter what Jesus has to work with, and for some of us, we could be in a situation of total meagerness, if that's a word. I think it might be. I think you know what I mean. We could be in a situation of total meagerness. We're running on empty. We're on fumes. Our hopes, our joys, our peace, there's just not a whole lot there right now for you. And God's children can feel that way sometimes. You've only got a measly little barley loaf worth of spiritual blessings. Not much at all. Well, the promise is that no matter how meager your resources He will multiply them. He will give you what you need. He will provide for you too. And he'll provide abundantly. More than enough. One more thought tonight. We see how Jesus demonstrates that he is the bread of life also because Jesus leaves nothing wasted. 
He doesn't let him waste anything. Did you notice that? Tells the disciples to gather the pieces that are left over, verse 12. And the text says specifically, and John's the only one that says that, that he's leaving nothing in order. He says, don't leave, let nothing be wasted. John makes a point of telling us this. You see, Jesus provides abundantly, but he hands off this job of spreading and sharing the bread of life to his disciples. The other Gospels tell us that the disciples distributed the bread originally. and The point is the same there and here. Jesus' followers were called to share Jesus, the bread of life, with others. And, and he, he doesn't want this abundance that he provides wasted. He doesn't want it wasted. He wants it to be shared. We may be part of Jesus' work. It's a picture of the church. It's a picture of the elders and the deacons and beyond. We're all called to be engaged. Furthermore, this tells us something very interesting in terms of stewardship, I believe. It tells us that even though Jesus has abundant resources, even though he has more than enough, there's more than enough from Jesus, but he, it's, there's still never an excuse to waste his resources. We are to be good stewards of his gifts to us in the church, even though they're abundant. Let nothing be wasted. Use the gifts. Distribute the bread of life. Share me. Share my abundance with others. Do it in such a way that you're good stewards. Don't let anything be wasted. Don't let your time be wasted. Don't let your resources be wasted. Don't let your talents be wasted. And all the abundance I'm giving you, even though it just pours out, take it, church. Take it, my people, and share it. Distribute it. Jesus demonstrates, I believe, in a powerful way. He shows us that he is the bread of life. I believe it's, it's a big illustration of that truth. I am the bread of life. And this miracle, this text is for you tonight. Jesus knows your every need. And he can anticipate them. And he does. Knowing your needs, Jesus will provide abundantly for you. And, and he doesn't want anything that he gives you. And he gives you a lot. He doesn't want anything you're given to be wasted. Make use of what he gives you for his glory. In the church, in your neighborhood, at work tomorrow, in your house tonight and this week. Share his abundance with others. And turn to Jesus again. Would you feed on him? Be nourished and refreshed and filled with the bread of life. 